is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radioteam at beyondzeroemissions.org. Hi, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and I'm your guest today, Erin, sorry, not your guest, your host. I've got some guests in the studio that threw me off. Erin um, Jones, it's been a while since I've been on. I've been all over the place, including up to Queensland, and went to the EV Expo that was at the convention centre there. So we'll probably talk about that in a little bit more detail on next week's show. But we've got a lot to cover today, so we'll get on with um, a bit of an update from the Save Western Port campaign that we've been following and then we're going to be spending a fair bit of time talking about uh, climate policies and um, how they're relating to this Victorian election that's coming up on the weekend. So we'll talk soon but first let's hear what's happening down in Western Port. Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show with Erin Jones, and I'm pleased to have on the line Louise Page. Now, Louise is a spokesperson for the Save Western Port campaign. We've been following this for a while, and and, um, this is something that we particularly like to do and have the ability to do on our show is actually, you know, go for more than the headline and follow an issue in detail, and this is a really important one that is just on our doorstep. So welcome, Louise. Oh, thank you, Erin. It's, it's great you to have us back on um, radio again. So just give us a bit of a background of, of what the campaign is and then a bit of an um, update on, on where things stand currently. Sure. So the project, um, that, and I'll try and be as brief as possible, is uh, that AGL, the uh, corporate giant in energy, is wanting to put a floating gas terminal at Crib Point, which is in Western Port. Now, the floating gas terminal, uh, what it is actually, is a 300-metre-long vessel known as a floating storage and regasification unit, and that will sit permanently at Crib Point Jetty and LNG tankers will bring imported gas in which will be unloaded into the FSIU and then there's also a pipeline pipeline being constructed from Crib Point to Pakenham which is approximately 60 kilometres so the FSIU will regasify the liquefied natural gas that's coming in and then that will be piped to Pakenham. There's a the regasification process involves sucking up up to 450 million litres per day of water of the seawater that is, so fresh seawater going in 
including all the organisms and everything else that's there. And then it's chlorinated and spat out. So the 450 million litres will go back out again chlorinated. So there are other detrimental things like noise pollution, light pollution, the tankers coming in, etc. But that's pretty much the uh, project in a nutshell. Yeah, right. And, and just for our listeners' information... What happens at Pakenham? Does it then it kind of move, you know, merge in with the mains gas lines? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so where are you up to at the moment? Okay, so I'm trying to recap on when we last spoke, and I don't think that we had been to the um, AGL's AGM. We had a rally in Melbourne. No, I don't believe no, so. No, that's right. So uh, we had a busload of people come up from the Western Port District, and we joined... Environment Victoria and Friends of the Earth in the city outside the where the AGL AGM was being held, and then half a dozen of us actually went into the AGM and voiced our concerns to the board, asked them some pretty difficult questions. And how was that received? Uh, they were a little bit surprised at the uh, level of interest in the Crip Point project, to say the least. I think it put them on the back foot quite a bit. So, so when you say you, you put some questions to them, was that in the formal context of the AGM? Or? Correct. Right, okay, great. Yep. Um, so that, that really um, got to the point where the chairman said, uh, I don't think we'll take any more questions on point mm-hmm. uh, so that was that was really good because it really let the board know what was going on so we're pretty happy with the outcome of that now the other thing that has happened is that the project is now going to the environmental effects standard so I think we may have covered that last time but I'll just run through it again mm. so the um, so AGL have put their proposal into the government so they've referred their project to the state government and the Department of Planning has said that AGL have to go through the full EES process. So that means that they will now have to be doing much more uh, work Rigorous, around their reports yeah, and their right. assessments. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a positive outcome because at one stage it was looking like a rubber stamp, wasn't it? Exactly. So that was our, our big first step for us, which was really fantastic. And then the next thing was being able to go to the AGM and put those questions to the board. And then after that, we actually won an award from Environment Victoria. So we've been pretty happy about the process so far. Mm. That's really great. And that was around the the, the campaign? Yes. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, so we've only been going since March. So we were were really pleased about that. It was nice to have the work recognised. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. So at the moment, the... um, the EPBC, which is the Environment... Oh, I've got to remember this one now. It's such a long one, I always forget it. The Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. Mm-hmm. That's the federal level. That actually, there's... Um, AGL had to refer to the government department on that as well because of Western Port being a Ramsar site. So we're still waiting on the federal government to actually pass down their finding on AGL's referral as well, which we would have expected by now, so um, we're just sort of sitting waiting for their decision. And for our listeners that may be listening on podcast or on digital radio, Western Port is to the, ironically, to the 
southeast of Melbourne City in Victoria, just um, for those listeners that may be listening from out of state to give you a little bit of context. Yep. So so what's the next action then, or how can people, you know, if people are hearing this for the first time and maybe aren't aware of, of what's proposed in this, um, you know, really sensitive um, Ramsar-listed environmental area, um, how can they get involved, or, or what's the best way to, for them to engage with the campaign? Okay, so obviously one of the, the big things happening now is the election. Yes, so, we're focusing a lot on that today's show. Yeah, so we uh, have been questioning candidates and finding out uh, what our local members think and so on, and it's really important that people go into the polling booth bearing in mind projects like this because we need to make sure that the government gets a strong message uh, about how people feel about what's going on. And even if if people have other views that are leading them to vote one way, then perhaps even when they go in to be questioning any of their candidates that are there about this proposal, because Western Port affects a lot of people. It's not just, you know, Crib Point or Hastings. You don't think go right round to Bath Coast, so you're talking right round to Phillip Island. And it is really a very precious area to many areas, like City of Casey, which is just to the north of it. Now, they're all growing so large and fast that if we're not careful, we won't have any clean, green spaces where people can actually go and relax and rejuvenate. So with Melbourne getting so big and City of Casey getting so big and all these areas growing, we need to be really mindful of, of what we've got here at Western Port, that it's a really fantastic resource for people to come and get some peace and quiet some fresh air all those sorts of things so there's the election coming up and there's always our website where you will find everything else all the links to facebook and instagram and anything else that um you might if you're on social media you can choose which one you want to look at twitter uh, so if you go to Save Western Port, <laughs> I'm having trouble today, <laughs> savewesternport.org, uh, you'll find everything there. We've actually got a, a new a sort of a, it's a fun kind of thing just to raise people's awareness. It's called the Big Green Chair. So on hashtag Big Green Chair. I actually Chair. saw that at the Bitten Market. Oh, you did? <laughs> Great. <Yeah. laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, so that's uh, something that we've just started so people might find it interesting to follow that still the photos and people are enjoying that one. Yeah, great. And look, the other, you know, the important thing for a lot of our listeners that we need to talk about is the fact that, you know, we just can't have new fossil fuel developments happening. Exactly. And that's what this is and it locks in for decades of gas going forward. Um, you know, these, these projects aren't... Um, aren't put up or, or costed or, or planned out in a short-term horizon. You know, this has probably got a 30-plus year horizon um, that AGL's doing their, their business case on. That's right. And it's just, it goes against all the um, targets and aims that we know we have to reach to actually have a sustainable planet. So new, uh, for, it's bad enough dealing with the existing fossil fuel infrastructure That's that right. needs to be closed down. We can't be having new fossil fuel infrastructure getting established at this late date. So it's really important and, um, you know, there's a whole lot of um, research showing that gas is not the clean transition fuel um, and so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of negatives any which way you look at it. So we just... Yeah, there is. It, there's the immediate damage to Western Port 
And as you say, there's the long-term consequences. And it's really hard to comprehend that any company in this day and age is actually basing their forward planning on fossil fuel. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, we um, we better wrap it up, Louise, because we've got a pretty packed show talking about all things election issues um, and climate today. So, um, but I really appreciate that you could come on the line at short notice and um, give us a bit of an update on this important campaign that's happening in our backyard. Thanks so much, Erin. Really appreciate you taking the time to keep up with us. Okay, great. All right, good luck, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Cyclones is pretty grim. Shocking. Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5pm on 3CR. Beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. VZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally. So welcome back to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. I'm your host for today's show, Erin Jones. I'm really pleased that we've got two guests in the studio. That is Lee Urbach, who is the Act on Climate Coordinator. And I probably said your name wrong, Lee, but you can correct me now. <laughs> and Pat Simons, who is the Yes to Renewables Coordinator. So welcome, guys. Hi, Erin. It's, I thought it was really important that we kind of break down some of the issues around climate and the related policies leading into the um, the state election. Um, so we might first start with, with you, Pat, and just um, you were mentioning earlier that you've recently um, been involved or, or coordinated a candidates forum in Portland. Can you tell us about that event and, and why you chose that location? Yeah, sure. So I guess for, for a little bit of background, the last few years, the main push by Yes to Renewables has been to secure a Victorian renewable energy target for the state, which was a successful campaign. It's taken about three to four years and something we're very, very proud of. And one of the really important stories in that campaign was the the the, the case study of Portland in, in southwest Victoria. So Portland is a manufacturing town. Um, it's home to a port, the alcohol aluminium smelter, and Keppel Prince, which is Australia's largest wind tower manufacturing facility. So within the town and in the broader region, that, that facility is actually the second largest employer in in the region. So it's a very significant place. And, you know, we've we've been going down there and, and Lee's, Lee's had a, a long relationship um, with the area as well. And um, we've always sought to highlight the importance of creating secure uh, manufacturing jobs and creating secure regional jobs in renewable energy uh, through the campaign. And Portland is one of the biggest beneficiaries of the Victorian renewable energy target. So, you know, with with the election coming up, Labor has... um, you know, recently pledged to increase their existing renewable energy target. Um, the Greens have a, a target of 100% renewables by 20, 2030, and the Matthew Guy opposition have pledged to scrap the target, which puts at risk, you know, hundreds of jobs. Um, in So thousands of jobs, actually, are around the state. But for this particular town, where it is the second largest employer, um, it's it's a huge impact, and the sitting 
MP is a, is a Liberal MP. So we thought that it was really important that people in the Portland community had a chance to to have their views heard about this issue that is not just important for all of Victoria, but I think is particularly important for that community. Yeah, exactly. And we'll. Um, I want to hear more about the, the candidates' um, forum, but we will go back and revisit the um, Victorian Renewable Energy target as well because I think we need to kind of flesh mm. that out, and that was a hugely important success to get that established um, and the, the prospect of that being abolished well, it kind of seems crazy on so many levels, but we'll we'll dive into that detail. But let's so so Portland, you know, that makes a lot of sense. You know, big manufacturing area, wind um, turbine manufacturing area, and really, I suppose it's kind of a real microcosm of the bigger issues and what what the Victorian renewable energy target means in terms of actually creating these industries and this employment mm. and a whole lot of things. So, so what what are the candidates' position then on in um, in that area? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, as I mentioned, uh, the sitting MP, Roma Britnell, is from the Liberal Party. And so the Matthew Guy opposition have obviously pledged to scrap the renewable energy target if they're elected. And so that does put all of the jobs of the people working in that sector at risk, um, particularly because... Keppel Prince are building all the wind turbine towers for several wind farms around the state, which are directly linked to the the renewable energy target or the V-rate. Mm. Um, it's quite an interesting, I guess, election for the region because although although it's uh, held by around 11% by the, by the Liberal Party, uh, a, a prominent independent, James Purcell, who is a sitting upper house senator um, and a key supporter of the VRET and the permanent ban on fracking, uh, he is now running as a lower house MP in the southwest coast. Right. And so the, the race has become quite interesting and there's a lot of debate around the, the differing stances. Uh, so he, he supports VRET. He was a strong supporter of local content uh, in order to get the policy passed in the upper house. So mm-hmm. he contributed one of the two key votes. And then we obviously have... Um, so his party is called the um, Vote One Local Jobs Party. So that's really his platform, is supporting local jobs, and renewables is a big part of that. And then uh, we also have the, the Labor candidate, Kylie Gaston, who has has strongly supported renewable energy and, and the Labor government's um, existing commitments. And, uh, and then we also have the, the Greens, who obviously have a more ambitious policy long term so that's Thomas Campbell uh, so I think of the sitting MPs and the major candidates we have a really interesting debate between the different the different people that are that are putting out in the ring and what was the the local response was that well attended by members of the community or, or and what was the, the feeling in, in the room yeah so it was a really really good event actually and we had about um, 100 people or just over 100 people attend on a Thursday night in a regional town so you know democracy is alive in regional victoria when i when i go to events like this that's how i feel and what was interesting was that one day before the forum roman britain or the, the liberal mp came out um, and made some comments in the local paper the portland observer slamming the renewable energy target and claiming that it hasn't done anything for the region so that obviously was met with um a little bit of confusion and disappointment um, by people in the local community who know that it's a really important policy. Mm. And so we, we saw... Um, well, they've really seen it in action, aren't they? I mean, exactly. it's jobs if, on the if, ground if for you, them. If you go 
if you go to the town, it's wind, wind farms on the horizon, manufacturing workers um, in the local local shopping centre. You see wind energy logos on people's um, on people's clothing. It's 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 very much a present thing in the community, and people are aware of it. And that was one of the great things in the forum is that people could really debate the details of the policy because it really matter, matters for people's lives. So, um, you know, since those comments um, by Roma Britnell, we then saw um, some pretty uh, pretty incensed uh, comments from uh, the boss of Keppel Prince, the wind tower manufacturer, um, a, a guy called Steve Garner, who's been a leader in the community and has really fought for... Um, keeping that business alive which is so important to the town's future all through the ups and downs of energy policy in australia and um so that really played out because paul um, went through some forum. fairly grim times didn't they yeah particularly the during the abbott government's time when the national renewable energy target was kind of uh, was at risk and that actually led to i think it was you can maybe correct me on the numbers lee but i think it was about 110 people lost their jobs mm-hmm. during that time and it's only now thanks to victoria forging its own path on renewables that actually those jobs are starting to come back and i think there's currently around 300 and 300 or so people employed for that company and a large amount of those people are manufacturing wind towers yeah and so we we're talking about pretty good quality jobs too yeah, this is this is there's a decade of work. It's the the target is for 2025, and now there's a 2030 target. So there's a there's a lot of work to do, and the industry is booming around the state because of this policy, and that has a lot of flow on benefits. Mm. And so we've got the the sitting member with an 11 percent margin, but making some pretty disparaging comments about um, a policy that's having some pretty big impact in that community. Yeah, and the thing that's worth noting is that big margins don't necessarily matter anymore. So we, we did see at the uh, the recent by-election in Wentworth uh, mm. a 27% swing against the Liberals. So mm. I think on some of these key issues in, in, in the right place and time, um, no, no seat is safe. Mm, yeah, it's a whole new political landscape, isn't it? And even The Australian has reported in the last few days that uh, there are three seats that are that that are currently held by the Liberals that are under threat from independence and they named South West Coast as one of those. Yeah, right. So so really in, in that particular electorate, um, we're looking at the Labor candidate and the independent candidate strongly supporting the VRET as it stands. Um, but not the Liberal candidate. So the sitting that's, Liberal candidate. That's right. Okay, interesting times. All right, well look, let's um and we kind of mentioned it briefly, but but maybe for some of our listeners that are interstate or listening to the podcast, let's just do a little recap on what what the VRET actually means and, and what the um, parameters are currently. All right, I can take this one. Um, so, yeah, the Victorian Renewable Energy Target. It's it's a policy that was legislated um, uh, in. October 2017, off the back of a, a long-running community campaign by Yes to Renewables at Friends of the Earth. And basically what it says is we're going to be 25% renewable by 2020 and 40% renewables by 2025. And 
in addition to that, so that's that's legislated, that is law. The government has to do that to meet their own laws. Uh, in addition to that, they have an auction system, uh, which basically is a competitive way of encouraging new renewable energy development. And so earlier in the year, we saw the Andrews government uh, announced the largest renewable energy auction in the country. Uh, which and that was really oversubscribed, wasn't it? They ended up taking yeah. more than what they initially... They, they originally asked for around 650 yeah. megawatts, and then they... They, they ended up with contracts that secured 928, to be yeah. exact. And for some context for people, that's enough. That's m- more than enough electricity to power basically all of Victoria's regional capitals. So Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo, the Latrobe Valley. That's, that's, that's a huge amount of renewable energy mm. that's coming into the grid. And when you put it in the context of the failure of the national coalition, the federal coalition, to do anything on energy and climate change, it's pretty significant. And that's the case that we have made over the last few years is that, you know, the feds have stuffed it up and that goes back a few years, but Victoria can actually forge its own path, and that's that's what this policy is doing. So it is really important, and it is the only legislated renewable energy target beyond 2020. So there is a lot at stake. Uh, you know, 10,000 jobs or more um, in manufacturing, construction, maintenance, about $9 billion of capital investment. It's going to cut 16% of the emissions in the electricity sector for the state. So this is a really important policy for jobs and for climate change action. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we've seen a lot of states stepping up um, and, and Victoria's at the forefront of that, but just because of that, that inaction at a federal level. Um, but let's go back. I mean, a lot of our listeners obviously are, are passionate and engaged around climate. So for those of them based in Victoria, what should they be looking for to make their vote really count for climate this, in this current election? Mm. Yeah, there's a few things that, that have um, occurred over the last few years for climate-conscious voters to consider. Um, So a few years ago, we did see the Daniel Andrews government show some initiative, and they actually looked into how can Victoria strengthen its state climate change laws. And this was in response to them being gutted the last time there was a, a Liberal National Party government in office. So there was a review process undertaken... Um, the laws were actually amended, updated, strengthened, and that legislation passed um, the Parliament in February last year. So even though the Climate Change Act, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a... It's being overshadowed by some of the bigger items, like the VRET. Mm. It is an important piece of policy. It's like a framework architecture for the state. And what it does, it legislates a zero emissions target by 2050... It requires governments to set interim targets every five years to that point, um, and it also requires rolling adaptation planning. And the reason why that is important is because, you know, we, we do know that we have communities that are exposed to bushfire risk, um, extreme weather, um, flooding, um, drought, so on and so forth, we could switch off all of the fossil fuels today, and there is so much energy in the global um, climate climactic system that we will be experiencing some impacts. Mm-hmm. So we actually do need to get very serious about how we're how we're responding and helping communities cope. 
So, um, in terms of the major political parties, Labor, obviously, they strengthened the climate change laws with the support of the Victorian Greens. Um, and despite our, our efforts over at least two years to persuade and encourage the Liberal Party to uphold those laws, um, they have failed to, to give that public commitment. So, you know, there are four days left before polling day. We'd love to see Matthew Guy and the opposition come to the party. Um, you know, these are sensible laws. They are about transparency and about process, and the Liberal Party really should be supporting them. Yeah, it's... Um, and like you say, we need an architecture of legislation that that makes it clear and plain, and, mm-hmm. and we can kind of get away from this partisan um, nonsense that's been going on for so long mm. and just go, let's deal with the issues. Um, but I think we're a, mm. a ways from that a little bit, um, mm-hmm. which is which is really unfortunate because you know we've on the show spoken um, to some people in New Zealand a, a couple of times over on on what's happened there and how you know they've just kind of cut out this. Um, you know, he said, she said, you know, black and white mm. kind of positioning and gone, let's deal with the issue. And look, I mean, you know, they've still got a lot of things that they need to work on, but they're actually moving forward. Mm. And this debate is kind of, you know, we've been bogged down for the last decade, um, certainly at a federal level. And it's been great to see some, some states take action. And, and certainly in Victoria, you know, we've seen some strong action. Um, mm. But again, that's all on the table isn't it yeah and i think that after the, the after the outcome in wentworth um you know that will that will give the liberal party and um the rank and file um a reason to to pause and have a think about it um but I suspect that the Matthew Guy opposition's failure to actually engage with climate change, um, their inability to put a, a plan on the table, I think that will be a drag on their vote. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I suspect in a few days' time, places where there are, you know, progressive voters that are climate concerned, um, Paran is definitely a seat to watch, um, Albert Park these Wentworth-style demographics, Mm. um, I do think that we will see a drag on the Liberal ticket there. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I think another another thing to to really note is when it comes to climate policy, you know, Friends of the Earth, we'll put a lot of thought into what comes next, and we do think it's time to see governments actually investing in climate solutions and accounting for the impacts of climate change on the budget. Mm. Um, so in terms of... Um, we're starting to see that at a corporate level. Yeah. You know, mm. we're starting to actually see, I mean, sometimes under pressure, but that corporations are actually starting to go, we need to account for this. Mm. We're seeing actions taken by the likes of the Australian Centre for Corporate Responsibility, kind of getting things on the agenda at um, AGMs and the like, to actually say, you need to be accounting for this and, you know, for your own mm. planning benefits, but also to report back to your shareholders. Yep. Um, and there's no reason, I mean, actually governments should be leading that. Mm. Um, we're actually seeing a lot of businesses and a lot of multinational businesses um, kind of take this action, looking at their own businesses and their whole supply chain. So mm. the fact that, that governments aren't is, is pretty crazy. And, and um, we've spoken on the show previously about some of the social research that's been mm. undertaken. Um, and, 
you know, the vast majority, I think well into the 70% realm, support action on climate. So you, you kind of think... Is this not getting through to politicians? Mm. Well, yeah, I think with the with the budget and the the transparency around climate exposure, um, I think that will be a big issue over the next few years, mm. uh, definitely over the next term of the state government. Um, and we've already seen the likes of Moody's, um, one of the global ratings agencies, um, state publicly that um, cities, states and businesses, banks that fail to account for climate risk will be exposed to credit rating downgrades. And um, no treasurer at a state or federal level wants to be at the helm when a credit downgrade comes because that means the cost of financing mm. new new rail lines or other new public good infrastructure, it will be more or expensive. Or even bad infrastructure for that. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, it will be an issue for the next government to grapple with is how do we actually get our budget and, and financial processes, you know, upgraded to deal with climate change. And in the short, I mean, the, the Victorian Greens have already come out and backed that proposal that we've been putting out there. Um, and, you know, we will continue to, to make the case for both Labor and Liberals to get on board with that, whoever's elected in a week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's regardless of the outcome, um, there's still going to be a lot of organisations such as your own and Beyond Zero Emissions kind of pushing for this because there's no alternative. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got to keep on this road to, to get some, some climate action happening. So you mentioned there a couple of seats that um, you think are potentially may change hands. Um, what's the general feeling in the... Um, uh, I was just mentioning to the, the guys here that I've actually been away for five weeks and haven't been <laughs> exposed to all the the, um, the political advertising and the, the commentary. In Which Victoria. makes you a great interviewer. <laughs> I've been out a of state, so a neutral it's, voice. it's kind so. of all fresh. <laughs> um, but but what, what are we seeing in, in terms of that broader polling? Yeah, uh, you know, it's um, elections. You know, you, you never want to... You don't want to... Um, predict things one way or the other um, and I'm certainly not a pollster but what I have seen mm-hmm. in recent polling in the in the age um, it looks like Labor you know that their, their chances are looking pretty good um, I think you know, from my own campaigner perspective, I think that, you know, Matthew Guy started the year with a bit of energy, um, but I think the gloss has come off um, for him. And I think the, um, yeah, the really regressive um, stance that they have towards climate change and renewable mm. energy is part of the reason for that. Um, you know, it, yeah, elections are dynamic, you mm. know, um, a few years ago... And people vote on lots of issues, don't yeah, they? Right. You know, it's kind right. of a, a grab bag of values that people kind of end up making mm. their decision on. Yeah, that's right. And I guess, you know, one thing that I can say is, you know, a bit of analysis from my point of view. It strikes me that the the main choice between the parties that conform government, um, it's, it's a, a vision um, between... A, a vision about how Victoria can, you know, build and be prepared for the future, um, opposed to a nightmare, which is about, you know, overblown crime waves and, and gang violence. So in a nutshell, for me, it is a, a, a battle between vision and nightmares. Okay. Pat, do you want to add anything to that? I don't know if I can really beat that. <laughs> I mean, it's something that Lee and I have spoken about at length, but... Um, 
you know, just to put the broader... It's kind of step out of the renewable energy campaigner and environmentalist um, perspective for a moment. Um, I would say that um, with Matthew Guy's campaign, he's, he my analysis would be that he has placed all of his eggs in one basket, perhaps, and that is this nightmare that Lee speaks about mm. of this... So more this, a negative this, campaign. This, yeah. dark, this dark view of reality, whereas... Um, and that, that, that there is a kind of ceiling in voters' yeah. minds to the impact of that, whereas I think other parties have been, um, whether that's Labor and the Greens, have been engaging at a more visionary level around what do people need in their lives, um, whether that's better better energy, better transport, um, better health services. And obviously all of those things have a climate uh, mm-hmm. angle as well. And so we're not seeing the opposition engage with those issues on the same level, we're not seeing that same level of vision on climate change, and so that to me is is also a, a moral failure by that party, mm. um, and very disappointing. And you know, when we when we hear f- from hear the you know candidates and, for example, the the shadow energy minister David Southwick speaking at a candidates forum in in Caulfield last week asked about what is your party going to do on climate change and re- renewable energy and and his answer is to say that um, in, and I'm summarising here what's the point in doing renewables when the rest of the world isn't acting and which is which is factually incorrect. factually yeah, incorrect right. yeah. and second of all an absolute failure of agency on the part of someone who was supposed to be representing the public mm. so I think there is a very big difference between um, the opposition and 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 the, the labor and the greens on this on this particular issue mm. and that's going that's going to play out over the next few days and like Lee said it's it, it, it is likely that it will be a drag on their votes because they have actually misjudged the electorate on this issue mm. now we talked briefly before or we mentioned about what happened in Wentworth and you know we had a fairly prominent independent there where do we stand in Victoria in terms of, of independence that might actually... We've talked about the candidate in, in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're saying he's got a party, but I don't know, does he see himself as an independent or as a minor party? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I can't really speak yeah. for him, uh, and I can't speak for, for the party. They do have a party that they have formed mm-hmm. called Local um, Local Jobs, Vote One Local Jobs, and they are fielding candidates outside the southwest coast. Uh, but pers- James Purcell has... You know, been the most prominent member of that party. I guess other other seats to look out for where there are uh, independent candidates sitting or, or running. Um, I can't remember the name of the electorate, but the sitting MP is Susanna Sheed for Lee. Do you oh, want to yeah. jump in here? Yep. So for the seat of Shepparton, so mm. a former liberal, a former liberal parliamentarian who uh, lost pre um, pre selection a few years ago, but none, nonetheless she won uh, re election in 2014. There's a lot of solar development in that seat um, that will be creating jobs and delivering prosperity to that seat. So 
that's one to to watch. Um, another one is the seat of Benambra. Um, so the sitting member Bill Tilly is a Liberal, um, but this is the seat where um, Yak and Danda, you know, the little uh, little hamlet, little town, yeah, that's with a big heart, big um, stuff. I mean, I know they've yeah. engaged with us in the um, our community initiative, mm. um, and are, and are doing great things. Yeah, that's right. That's, really energised community. You know, they're, they're aiming for one hundred percent renewables. Mm. While their sitting member has a pledge to scrap the state's target, you know what I mean. So there, there, mm. there's an interesting contrast there, and um, yeah, Jenny Connor, this, the can contest um, the uh, candidate, um, the independent candidate, is a. A councillor um, previously has been mayor of um, Indigo Shire. So quite a high profile. So in the yeah, community. a high profile person. Mm, okay, yeah, I think we're going to start to see some, um, you know, more independents mm. pop up. Um, and I think that's probably a good thing. I mean, obviously each individual is going to stand for mm. their own things, but mm. um, we're starting to see that um, that can actually exist. And a the system doesn't fall over, which I think sometimes the major parties mm. want you to think it's a wasted vote mm. if you vote for an independent. Mm. Um, so I think that that's probably a good thing. Mm. And on that note of, you know, obviously when there are independents that are championing the community's cause, that's something that's really exciting. But I guess at the same time in the upper house, we're seeing also a, di- a totally different dynamic where we have lots of micro parties contesting. Um, so... You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say vote for this person or vote for that person. No, we can't. Say but <laughs> I would encourage people to vote below the line in the upper house uh, because uh, just because of the complexities of preference flows. And if mm. you are, mm. if you vote above the line, you're essentially enabling the, the party that you vote for above the line to control where your preferences go. And with so many micro-parties um, contesting the election um, in the upper house, it's, it gets very complex. And mm. by voting below the line, you're actually taking control of your vote and making sure it goes to the people that you want it, yeah. want it to go to. So, yeah, yeah that, that would be my main recommendation in terms of how you vote. So actually choosing a bit more rather mm. than just kind of handing it over. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yep. Okay, well... We haven't talked a lot about it, but I know that, that you, Pat, have done, been doing a lot of work around transport. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk about that as an issue, because obviously we know that um, transport is a big emitter um, of carbon pollution, whether it be road or diesel rail or heavy heavy mm-hmm. um, transport. Um, so where are we standing on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So maybe I'll tackle it from a yes to renewables perspective and then go on maybe give as much as I can on the broader perspective. So, you know, just a few months back, earlier in the year, we, we launched our new campaign, which was to which is to get the um, Melbourne's train network running on renewable energy. And this was kind of inspired by the, the progress on doing the same with the trams. So just a, f- just a few weeks ago, we had the news that one, one of the solar farms that will be powering the tram network has switched on. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that Melbourne's tram network is now sourcing electricity from renewables directly from a solar plant. 
solar farm in northern Victoria, which is really exciting. Mm. And so the obvious argument is if we can do it with the tram network, we can do it with the trains. And so we've been running um, just a campaign, mostly Melbourne metro-focused, you know, getting people to to sign our open letter to the Premier and to the opposition leader to do just this. And we've had um, the Yarra City Council sign on to that. We've had the uh, Maribyrnong... I'd have to double-check that. I'm pretty sure it's the Maribyrnong City Council uh, sign on to that, as well as the Municipal Association of Victoria, mm-hmm. which is the uh, which is Elective the state, body. statewide body for local councils, as well as some prominent individuals, Simon Corbell, the Renewable Energy Advocate, and we've also had some candidates, um, such as Cindy O'Connor, who's the Labor candidate for um, Brunswick, which is a contested seat, um, you know, commit to putting it on the table and bringing it to the Premier. So that's kind of you know, obviously with the VRED in place, we are beginning to reduce our electricity sector emissions and we need to go faster. Mm. But at the same time, we also need to start to work on transport emissions. So this is a way to start chipping away at that problem. And uh, so, you know, it remains to be seen whether that will play out in the election or whether that will be something that we continue to pursue after the election. Uh, at the same time, you have this broader issue, which is really big in the election, which is basic, basically um, public transport, um, not traffic, uh, which is the name of the campaign that, that, that used to be run and now has been taken up by the campaign Sustainable Cities at Friends of the Earth. And so the major question for that campaign is really what what is the vision that, that parties have on transport? Mm. What are they putting on the table? And the main thing that they're really gunning for is uh, is the next stage of the Melbourne Metro project, so, or Melbourne Metro 2. So we're, we're seeing Melbourne Metro 1 being built right now, which is amazing, uh, but will we see the parties commit to building the next stage and to outlining a clear timetable about that, that project? So that remains to be seen. And so for our listeners that are outside of Melbourne, just give us a scope of what that Metro 2 stage is, is looking like or yeah, potentially looking I'm like. I'm probably not the best person to answer that question, actually, but I would encourage uh, listeners to search for Sustainable Cities on Facebook uh, or you can search Get On Board Vic and there's a website which will have all the information. Okay. Yep. I just don't want to give the wrong no, idea about the route or anything like that, but essentially it's... The Melbourne Metro project, it requires both stages to be built. And so to build one without the other is is kind of a bit misguided. And the sooner we build it, the, the faster we're going to be busting congestion and getting people onto public transport and making sure that Melbourne has a 21st century transport system. Um, the other thing that we've seen is the announcement of the suburban rail loop proposal by the Andrews um, government, uh, which is, you know maybe on the horizon as, a, as an ambitious project, but which, if it went ahead, would see um, a number of outer suburbs linked together into, a, you know, a, an entire suburban rail system. Uh, so that's that's very exciting. Um, at the same time, the, the Greens... So is that an election promise, or that's kind of a... Is that a little bit out? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's an election okay. commitment. So yeah. if re-elected, the Andrews government will be you know, commencing planning work to understand how you do that big mm-hmm. ring around the city. Mm. And it is a it is a huge project. Like it would be mm. the biggest transport 
infrastructure project of any type ever undertaken in Australia's history. Like, wow. it's that big. Mm. Um, it's quite enormous and super ambitious. Mm. And um, But it makes sense. It does. If it's you've been on mm. Melbourne's train network, it makes total sense. Mm. And I think it's, you know, people who live in suburban Melbourne People are crying out for access to this. You know, if you live in the inner city, you have you might have the train and the tram and maybe a couple of buses. The, the buses obviously need a lot of improvement. So I think for people in the suburbs to get access to that is amazing. So we'll see how that goes. At the same time, um, you know, the, the Labor government is also pursuing uh, large freeway projects such as the East-West Link. And so I guess the argument mm. that the Greens are making is that, you know what, in the age of climate change and also just when we care about planning and people's health, we should mm. be prioritising public transport over roads. Not not even trying to do both, but we should redirect those funds. So that's the argument that they're, that they're making. Mm-hmm. And so those are a few of the things that the people... At, can consider. Yeah. And I think there's kind of, sorry to interrupt you, but but that bigger picture, if we can, you know, get politicians to think in that bigger picture, you know, we're not that far down the road from autonomous vehicles and a whole different mind frame around vehicle ownership. Mm. Um, So, you know, these are massive, you know, we're talking about massive road projects um, and the whole ownership of vehicles and singular use vehicles in you know, as little as 10, 15, 20 years could be so different. Mm. Um, but we kind of just do this, let's build another road, let's build mm. another road kind of mentality. Yeah. And something that's really important to consider is on top of the environmental aspect, because transport is, a, is the second largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and the fastest growing. So we really need to get a handle on this. But another aspect is the equity question. Mm. And so I guess that's that's part of why Friends of the Earth advocates for public transport. Um, in, that's our primary focus uh, because that is transport that's available to everybody. Yeah. But if you have a situation where one person can afford, um, you know, a 100% renewable electric vehicle and another person can't, like, is that an equitable mm. solution? Mm-hmm. And my answer would be no. Yeah, yeah, or even, you know, you might be able to afford the... Um the app-based, mm. you know, car, you know, Membership taxi service. But is, yeah. what happens when surge pricing kicks in and you can't mm. afford it? So mm. we do need to make sure for a, a just society that we have sustainable and equitable transport modes available. And, mm. yeah, the we need to remember that the train is the original electric vehicle, people. Mm. We need to remember that. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, we've only got a couple of minutes, so if you want to just... Um, I'll let you make some closing remarks or if there's anything that um, you think we really need to um, get out there in terms of what people should maybe be thinking about when they um, head in to make their very important vote um, this weekend. Yeah, okay, I'll just jump in. Um, what we're doing, the Act on Climate Collective, um, where we kicked off a week of action today down in Paran, which is one of the most marginal seats, and we'll be doing one action a day between now and polling day. And this is really about highlighting the Liberal Party's poor position on climate. Um, so tomorrow, if people are keen and listening, um, tomorrow we'll, we will be meeting at 12 o'clock midday at David Southwick's electorate office and this is around raising awareness in his community about the Liberal Party's position. Um, We'll be heading to Frankston train station on Wednesday morning 
Burwood, um, the, sorry, the Burwood electorate office of Graham Watts, another Liberal MP on Thursday, and then finishing off in Ripon out in Maryborough in the central goldfields. So the, the lesson or the key point we're trying to drum into people's minds is that the Liberal Party have their head in the sands on climate change. Mm. And obviously you guys want to, you know, get all parties to kind of take right. on these um, the fact that we all need to be acting on climate. So if people want to um, engage in any of those events that you've just mentioned, where's the best place for them to get that detail? Yep, so if you head along to Act on Climate Vic on Facebook, we will have some links about our week of action there and it's as simple as um, RSVPing or signing up and then we'll send you the details. Fantastic. Anything else to um, add and... Uh yeah, I, I, I would just reiterate Lee's comments, and obviously we, we put a renewable energy spin on it, so what I would say is that everything that everybody in the in the movement has has fought for over the last few years to, to get traction on renewable energy is at stake. This election, due to the opposition's pledge to scrap the renewable energy target, and likely said... Um, yeah, that that head in the sand approach does need to be really clearly recognised, and um, yeah, cons- please consider that when yeah. you're voting. Great. Well, I really appreciate both of your time today. Thank you so much. Um, we've been chatting with Pat Simons, who's the Yes to Renewables coordinator, and Lee Urbank, who's the Act on Climate coordinator from Friends of the Earth. Thanks so much, guys, and nice to chat with you. And maybe um, we'll talk again in the next couple of weeks and see what things are looking like. A post-election debrief. I like that. Yes, that sounds yes. great. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Right, thanks, Erin. So now we're um, we just want to focus on one other thing. There is actually some schools that are taking action, and so I had a chat with Jean earlier today. So let's have a listen to what she has got to say and how other students might want to engage in this initiative. So we've got Jean Hinchliffe on the line, and Jean is one of the lead organisers for the school strike for climate. Um, Jean is from Fort Street High School in Sydney in the inner west. So welcome, Jean. Oh, thanks for having me. Look, for our listeners that may not be aware of their campaign, can you just outline for us what it is exactly? Okay, so we're a big bunch of school kids that um, have been striking throughout November. So some people have been striking on different days outside their MP's office. But we're all going to have a big event on November 30th in um, pretty much every major city around Australia, um, all outside our Parliament houses, um, striking from school to urge our politicians to take action against climate change. Okay, great. And so how did this initiative come about? Um, it was actually inspired by a girl in Sweden called Greta, and she's amazing. She was striking for weeks until their election over there, um, also for climate. And the, she actually inspired a few girls in Victoria who started up the, the whole initiative. Um, so I actually got involved after hearing about it, and at that stage there was only one event, and that was the Melbourne Big Walkout. So I contacted them and um, started organising the Sydney one, and now we have over 25 events. Yeah, fantastic. And... Um so, so the big event that you're looking at is now November 30. If people are out there listening and really want to get involved, what's the best way for them to um, find out how to become involved? 
Um, the best way would be to go to our website, which is www.schoolstrike, and then four is in the number, climate.com. Okay, And excellent. from there, yeah, on there we have um, a lot of different resources, and um, on it you can RSVP to each event, and from there you can also see the Facebook page, which will have any updates. So, yeah, that would be a really good way to get involved in the actual walkout event. Right. And uh, so you, you mentioned that there's 25 events planned. Are they from a variety mm-hmm. of high schools and primary schools, or private, public? What's the mix looking like at the moment? Yeah, so because each event isn't actually like an individual school striking, they're all just in that city or area, mm-hmm. it's heaps of different kids um, that are coming. I actually was at the Newtown Festival handing out flyers and talking to people, and I had primary school kids and public school kids and high school kids and private school kids, and everyone really seems to be super interested in it. So we're getting quite a diverse mix. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, obviously it's, it's so important um, that we act on climate now and Absolutely, yeah. young people are going to, you know, bear the biggest brunt, you know, as time goes, goes by. Mm. Um, so obviously it's something that you feel really passionate about. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay, excellent. Well, look, um, so I'll just repeat that. So the website is school strike and then the number four or climate.com so if people want to go and have a look at that and they can um, get some resources and I'm sure contact people and and kind of see how they Mm -hmm. can make that work in their own community and at the moment the key date that you're looking at is November 30th yeah, in a couple cities, um, like in Canberra, they've got November 28th, and mm-hmm. a couple cities it's varying, but pretty much everywhere it's going to be November 30th. Yeah, okay, excellent. All right, well, look, we will look forward to keeping in touch with you. We might, we might talk again next week and see how the campaign's going leading up to those dates. Oh, awesome. Um, but, look, it's been great to talk to you, Jean. It's really good to see you you know, taking initiative and getting involved, so well oh, thank done. thank you so much. But, um, yeah, no, it's very good. Okay, look. Appreciate talking to you, and we'll talk again. Awesome, yeah. See ya. Thanks, Jean. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Radio. So we've covered a bit of ground today in the Beyond Zero Emissions show. Um, a lot of focus on what's happening in Victoria with the state election. Um, we've covered in quite a bit of detail on a previous show exactly what was involved in getting that Victorian renewable energy target up and the behind the scenes work that happened and and both Pat and Lee that we spoke to were both really involved in making that a reality um, and campaigning for it um, so you know it's a pretty important thing so let's see how things are looking um, post the election on Saturday um, next week I'll be on the air again and we're going to talk about the uh, Ele- Australian Electric Vehicle Association's EV Expo that happened in Queensland um, last weekend I think it was um, just not long ago anyway uh, so we'll have a bit of a chat about that and um, lots of other good things so look thanks for tuning in um, I'm Erin Jones and it's been great to have your company again and we look forward to chatting again next week. Bye-bye. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. 
As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out... I'm just going to pause the outro there for a minute because there's a really important announcement that I didn't make and I need to make. So the Beyond Zero Emissions annual dinner is happening on the 6th of, which is a Thursday of December. It's at 5.30 at Edinburgh Gardens Community Centre. Get along, hear all about the accomplishments that Beyond Zero Emissions has done this year. We've got some international awards and also...